You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Welcome. It's great to be together uh, this Easter Sunday. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to extend our welcome and say we're so glad that you would come out. Maybe you're not a regular churchgoer, so thanks for coming out. This is, this is kind of like the Super Bowl for Christians, you know, so thanks for joining in and, um, and being with us today. And I, I hope what we sing about and what we talk about will offer, uh, we'll offer you the real hope of the Bible today. Um, I'm going to talk from a passage in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So under the seat in front of you should be a Bible. If you don't have one, if you just grab that Bible from under you and turn to page 560, then you'll be able to read along with me. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this passage of Scripture and then I'm going to go back and refer to each verse and talk about each verse in the passage of Scripture and explain how it gives hope to us today. So this isn't the actual uh, historical narrative account of Jesus' resurrection. That was read to us while we uh, sang this morning. This is a passage written by an apostle named Paul who some years after the resurrection of Jesus is telling the church what difference the resurrection makes. So here we're going to talk about the hope that we find in the resurrection. So we're reading in 1 Corinthians 15, and if, you, uh, if you're new to the Bible, 15 is the chapter. It'll be on page 560, and then the smaller numbers are the verses. And so we're going to read verses 20 uh, down through, I'm just going to read through 26. This is God's Word to us. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end." when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. May God bless the preaching of his word today. This passage is a passage that talks about uh, a king, it talks about his enemies, it talks about war, and it talks about ultimate victory. And this passage of Scripture in particular sometimes is illustrated by a comparison from World War II. To understand what Paul is saying, this is the difference the resurrection makes both today and forever, an illustration from World War II helps sort of talk about what's happening in this passage. The difference between D-Day and VE Day um, at the close of World War II. D-Day occurred on June 6th, 1944. It was a day in which thousands of Allied troops stormed the beaches of Normandy in North France 
And this was the turning point ultimately in World War II. This was the beginning of the end for Nazi occupation of mainland Europe. It served as the beginning of the end for the Nazis, we could say. the, the, The battle was turned at that point, and it was as good as won, even though there was ongoing operations and battles, until the next year, about 11 months later, in May of 1945, there was the celebration of VE Day. VE Day was Victory in Europe, VE, Victory Europe, Victory in Europe Day, and this was the day that was celebrated the end of World War II, the end of fighting in Europe, at least, at that point. It was the final victory. So D-Day was the decisive victory that served as the beginning of the end of Nazi occupation. VE Day was the, the day of ultimate victory when all war ceased and in Europe and freedom was celebrated. In the same way, the resurrection of Jesus is a decisive victory that serves as the beginning of the end of death. And when he returns, this passage teaches us, all those who believe in him will be resurrected to life and there will be no more death. That's the equivalent of VE Day. So we have a decisive victory in which Jesus has begun by defeating death to renew all things and make all things new now, but that's not ultimately experienced until his return when we are raised. And so this passage uh, sort of fixes our eyes on two places. One is the future, and it gives us a new hope for eternity. Because Jesus was resurrected, Uh, Believers in Christ have a new hope for eternity, but it also says something about today. And it tells us that because of Jesus' resurrection, we have a new purpose today. We have a new hope for eternity because of his resurrection, and we have a new purpose for today. Two different places. So first of all, let's talk about the new hope for eternity. If you look back at the verse, the first verse we read, it says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is just, uh, uh, here it's a, it's a statement about death, a description of death. Christ has been raised, the first fruits. What is this about? Well, Paul is, is using, he kind of mixes metaphors throughout this passage, Paul who wrote it, but this first metaphor is an agricultural metaphor. And the first fruits were once a farmer, you know, planted his crops, the very first sign of, you know, crops being ready for harvest, sort of the first ear of grain that came out, those were called the first fruits. And what the Jewish people would do is they would take the very first, the first bit of their crops, the first ears of grain, and they would harvest those, and then they would offer those as an offering to God, thanking him for what he had provided. But the, the first fruits were significant because what they what they stated was that there's going to be a full harvest. There's going to be a good harvest. The harvest took this year. It's going to be healthy. And the proof that a full harvest is coming is that we have these first fruits of the harvest right now. It was proof. And so Paul says that's what Jesus' resurrection is. 
It's the first ears of grain of a glorious harvest. Jesus is resurrected, but there is coming a promised future in which all of those who believe in him will be resurrected. That's the great harvest. He's the first fruits, he says in verse 20, with a great harvest to come. Because he was raised, those who belong to him will be raised also. And this is a great hope for the believer in Christ. What's so hopeful about it is because, a little bit like I was trying to emphasize in the prayer earlier, that this great hope of life comes because we're all under the sentence of death. And to show us that we're all under the sentence of death, we could look around daily, but, but the way the Bible explains death is Paul then goes back to the beginning of the whole Bible. So he's talking about Jesus' resurrection. He looks to the future and says, everyone who believes will be resurrected. And then he goes back to the beginning of the Bible. And he goes back to the story of Adam and Eve. In verse 21, he says, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. So he says, death came from a man, And so resurrection will come from a man as well. The man that death came from is Adam. So the beginning of the Bible goes like this. It's Genesis, the chapters are Genesis 1 through 3, and it describes God creating everything and then placing the first humans, Adam and Eve, in a perfect garden paradise where they lived with pure life, no sickness, no pain, no death, no sin, no sorrow, a completely different existence. They had perfect relationship with one another. They had perfect relationship with God. And God gave them this liberal freedom to eat anything they wanted in the whole garden except one tree. He said, you cannot eat from this one tree. Well, what they did was they wanted to be like God themselves. They didn't want Ultimately, God sort of telling them what to do. They wanted to, uh, they believed they could, they were tempted and believed they could be his equal, that they would know what he knows if they ate from that tree. So they ate from the tree, and sin and death tragically entered this creation. It was a perfect creation, but because they, rep, uh, they rebelled against God, he had told them, If you eat, you will die. And they ate, which was sin, they rebelled against God, and now suffering and pain. And sorrow is part of the fabric of our existence today. Really, suffering and pain and sorrow permeate all of creation. And the Bible explanation for that, the Bible's explanation for death as well, it goes back to the beginning of the story and says, because of what Adam did, death entered the the creation. And now we are born, and like him, we sin. Like his wife Eve, we sin. And now, ultimately, uh, suffering is in all of life. This is the world we live in. And so it's Easter Sunday, which is a day that's happy, but we must acknowledge the, the suffering and the pain that, that is experienced in life. Reminds me of the saying of the great theologian, the dread pirate Roberts in uh, Princess Bride, where at one point he communicates to Princess Buttercup, life is pain, and anyone who says differently is selling something. That's true. Life is pain, and as a church, we want to speak truth and in integrity, and that's a true statement. 
we're not selling anything, that life is easy and rosy, and if you just believe in Jesus, all your problems are gone, and nothing like that. Life is pain, but Jesus has come and, and brought life and hope into the midst of our pain. So their sin, Adam uh, and Eve's uh, sin, has affected us all, and it's infected us all as well. We are born in solidarity with Adam, sort of connected to Adam, sort of united to him in some way. We do the same things he and Eve did. We do what we want to do, the very same thing. In verse 22, look, it says, in Adam, so it's saying we're connected to him, we all die, but in Christ, all shall be made alive. And so the Bible and much of human history thinks this way. Um, it's hard for us to grasp this because we live in such a highly individualistic kind of world. The Western mindset is very unique in, in the history of the world because it's so, at least the modern Western mindset, is so radically individualistic. But historically, this has been a common idea for people, and it's the, the way the Bible understands reality, is that the, 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 uh, the acts of a representative affect the whole. That's what this is about. The acts of a representative affect the whole. Now, the closest we come to this is not theological, but probably sports is the closest we come to this idea. So if you're playing soccer and one person scores a goal, the whole team says, we scored. We, and if you win, we won. And so the benefit of all in that case is based, maybe to make the illustration more accurate, let's say you won on a penalty kick. It's one guy or one gal kicked. It wasn't a team effort in that moment. But one, one, one guy or gal kicks and scores, the whole team benefits. On the other hand, if one player is penalized, the whole team suffers that liability. And so the reality is that we all win by the representative who scored the one goal and we all suffer from the actions of the one who broke the rules. And in the Bible, in Romans 5, it says this is exactly how it works, that if you want to have life in Jesus to be in him, you have to acknowledge that you already have death because you were born a sinner in Adam. You, you, you're on one team or the other is kind of how the Bible expresses it. Those in Adam do what they want to do. We sin, it's natural, and sin brings death. But this passage makes clear that not everybody is in Adam. There is another option. We're all born in Adam, but there's another option. Verse 22, all in Christ shall be made alive. There's another representative, there's another team captain, there's a, another one, Jesus Christ, who is human and God, holy human, holy God, and he comes and lives a perfect life, and he dies on a cross for our sins, the innocent for the guilty, and he is buried, and then on the third day, he is raised to life, and all who are in him receive spiritual life. You see, the Bible teaches in Adam, all are born spiritually dead, but in Christ, we're made spiritually alive. In Adam, we all deserve eternal judgment as sinful people ourselves, but in Christ, we receive eternal life. So in him, there is hope for all eternity. We find this great hope in verse 23, the next verse down. Each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So this is such good news. It's saying he is the first fruit, the harvest is coming. If you believe, you will be in him. Now this word, I don't usually ever 
use a Greek word or something, but this is a helpful Greek word. This, this original text Paul wrote in Greek, and there is this word that has rich meaning. It says, at, verse 23 again, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. His coming. Sometimes this Greek word is just used freely um, by church folk, or at least by sort of theologians and stuff, and the word is parousia, his parousia, it means his coming. It can mean to be present, to show up with presence, uh, pre- E-N-C-E, not gifts, but presence, to be present at his coming. And the reason this word was so interesting to be used here is because the first readers would have associated something with this word. This word, the coming, the presence, the be made present, the parousia, this word was used of dignitaries, of kings that would make a visit. You would, you would call it a, a coming, a, a parousia of a king. And, and the people in Corinth that he is writing to in first century, the city of Corinth, they would have totally gotten this because they were a, a city that was under Roman rule. And so they would have known the pomp and the ceremony that comes when a Caesar visits the city and all that went on with that. Well, the New Testament uses that word, and it says, when the king comes with all the pomp and circumstance, not some Caesar, but when the king over all kings comes, when the king who created everything comes, when the slain and risen king comes to pay earth a visit, when he returns, all of those with him will be brought to new life, resurrected life out of their graves. It's the ultimate return of the king to bring his people to himself. This is such good news. Verse 24, then comes the end. So this is how history works. We saw how history began. This is how history ends. Uh, Christ returns the king in all his pomp and circumstance, the, the visit of the dignitary, the sovereign, and all are raised to life who believe. And then the end, what happens in the end? Then, verse 24, he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So he will rule over all enemies, all spiritual enemies, all political enemies, all human enemies. He will rule over all in a new heavens and new earth, the scripture teaches us. And so Paul says, look to the Corinthians here, look backward and see where you were, what you were born into, what your natural state is in Adam, and look forward to the return of the king the resurrected king, and what that will mean. And there you find your hope. It's a hope for eternity. But it's, it's more than a hope for eternity. That's glorious enough. We could go home now, hide some eggs and eat some ham, and it'd be a great day. <laughs> but there's something else for the text we got to talk about, and that is that it gives us a new purpose for today. I just read those last verses, and there's one little word that's so easy to skip over, but it's so important. In verse 25... For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. This is the word that makes all the difference for today. It's not just as glorious as this is. It's not just a hope for the future when the king returns. It says he's reigning until. That means he's reigning now. He says there is a reign now. The king is already reigning by virtue of his resurrection. 
He came up out of the grave, the Bible teaches. He ascended uh, to the right hand of the Father and sits on a throne. We sang, be enthroned. He sits on a throne, ruling and reigning today. It was his resurrection and his ascension that were, in essence, his coronation of sorts. Everybody doesn't see that yet. We will all see that one day. But he is Lord now. He is the resurrected ruler, Lord now, and he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be put under his feet is death in verse 26. But because he's already come out of the grave, because he's already reigning, death is already dying. It's like D-Day, the beginning of the end has already happened. The reverse of the curse is happening right now. If we have eyes to see, it's happening all around us. God is at work today. He's already begun to make all things new. Jesus' resurrection is a huge plot twist. We gave you the, the beginning and the end of the story. In the beginning is the garden. It's perfect. It's glorious. Adam and Eve sin. There's a fall. Death, suffering, pain comes into the world. And then people expect a resurrection where everything will be made new. Many Jews, many Jewish believers expected that at the end of time, God would come and that there would be a resurrection and that everybody would be judged after this resurrection. They expected a resurrection at the end. But what no one got was that God would show up in the middle of the story God himself would not just come at the end. God would come right in the middle of the story 2,000 years ago. And he would live a perfect life. He would communicate the rule and reign of God. He would communicate the good news. He would love, and he would, he would be killed. We, we killed God when he came to this planet. He, he is, uh, he is uh, nailed to a cross, but he's doing that for us. He, he's being a substitute. He's taking our sins upon him. And then he is buried, and then he, raised, he is raised on the third day. So everybody expected resurrection at the end, but nobody thought that somebody, that there would be this resurrection in the middle of the story. And so what that indicates is that Jesus' resurrection shows, shows the end is already in process, in motion. That like in a movie, the music's starting to play when they go through that sequence at the end where everything's reconciled and made right, you know, and it, that music's starting to play when he came up out of the the grave, that end of the movie, here we go, and everything's going to be great, and hug and love at the end, and all that. That's happening right, that tune is playing right now as he comes up out of the grave. The end has begun. The risen king is already invading the darkness with light. He's already dethroning the reign of death and replacing it with the reign of life. And here's what that means. It means that he's alive, he is well, he is at work today, and he hasn't left you as a Christian. He hasn't left Christians just to sort of hang on, just defeated, sort of shriveling up in weakness until he returns. Rather, he must reign now as he is defeating enemies until the ultimate enemy, death, is put under his foot. So his reign of life is experienced in us and through us today by the power of the Holy Spirit. The greatest evidence of this is when a dead spiritual heart starts beating and a person comes to life spiritually. When you hear the good news of Jesus and you go from, I don't believe that, to I do believe that, and you receive new life, that's a sign that life is spreading into the kingdom of death. 
by bringing individuals to life. Listen, the reign of life in Christ is on display every time someone acknowledges him and his rule. When we gather here this morning singing these songs about his worthiness and that he's reigning and that he's life, when that happens, his reign is on display. It's the only explanation for our gathering here today. Every time as a believer in Jesus, we love or serve another person because of his love within us, the reign of life is on display. The power of the resurrection is on display because left to myself, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Every time we stand and speak out for justice and stand and speak against injustice, the reign of the just king is on display. Every time we give of our time, give of our effort to benefit another person, every time we give of our finances for the glory of God, every time we do that, the reign of Christ is on display through us. Every time we demonstrate care for the hurting, every time we reach out and seek to comfort the suffering with the words of Christ, every time we reach out and include the marginalized as Jesus reached out and included us in his family, every time we do that, the reign of Jesus is on display. Every time we tell someone this good news, he, he reigns and rules through words of life that are proclaimed of his death and resurrection. Every time we pass on this good news and model it to our children and grandchildren, generation after generation, the reign of Christ is on display. Every time we do good work at the office or at the job site or in the home, God's reign is on display. Every time we fast, like Friday, or every time we feast, like today, the resurrection day, God's reign is on display. Every time we engage in fellowship, healthy relationships with those who know Christ, and every time we seek to reconcile broken relationships, the reign of Christ is on display who came to reconcile our relationship with the Father. Do you see this? He must reign now until all his enemies are defeated and pushed back. Until means he's reigning now, he's renewing now, he's acting now, he, he will act decisively. D-Day has occurred, and now we are a part of his cleanup operation that is sharing the good news with people who are suffering and dying and in pain until he comes back and on victory over the universe day, uh, VU day, I guess, when that happens, when we are resurrected and all things are finally made new. God desires to use all of us to reveal that the risen king is reigning and extending his reign into a broken world, pushing back death until the last enemy, physical death, is finally destroyed. So what does this mean for you this Easter Sunday? If you don't know Jesus, you better get in on this. You better get in on this. I mean, what better news imaginable is there that you can have eternal hope? You don't have hope to avoid physical death. If Christ doesn't come while we're alive, then we will all experience physical death. But the sting of death is removed, the scripture says, because at death we are immediately in his presence. 
And so what greater hope can you have than eternal life with the God who created you? If God, if it's true that there is a creator and God created everything and created you, then he knows what is absolutely best for you. And he is returning for you. If he came and gave his life and died for your sin, that you might have all of your sins forgiven, a clean conscience, a new life, a fresh start, and if he came to put his Holy Spirit in you, which is what happens, when you believe, it's not just embracing a new set of values, like family values, or, or God forbid, conservative or liberal values, or something like this. This is not what it is. It is you being dead and coming to life. It is the Spirit of God coming in you and awakening you so that your eyes are opened. If all of that is what Easter is about, a sure promise for the future, and a glorious purpose for today, how could you possibly miss getting in on this? And getting in on it is free. Well, at one level, it costs you everything. It costs you, you, you give your life to Christ. But at another level, you don't do anything to earn it. You, you, nobody will get up out of the grave on the last day and approach Christ at his parousia, this kingly coming, and say, I deserve to be here on their works. No one will be good enough. It is a gift. This work of Christ is a gift, and here's how you receive that gift. You turn from your sin, which brings death and darkness and life, and you come to Christ and you believe. You turn and trust in him, and you say, say to him, you can just simply express that in prayer to him. God, I uh, please forgive me for my sin. Grant me new life. With this image of the king, reign over me. Reign in me. Reign through me by your spirit. Give me new life today. I believe that you are Lord of all, the one and only. You can just express that to God today. So if you don't know Christ, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I'm wrapping up now. But thank you for listening. And, and uh, it really means a, lo a lot to us that you would come and visit on Easter. But more importantly, it doesn't matter what it means to us. What it, what it means for you to hear this news and to respond, the opportunity to turn and to respond to him is for you today. If you're already a believer, well, this text makes a great claim on your life. It calls you to a great hope for the future and a great purpose for today. You're called to live your life united with Christ, united in his purpose, living out uh, your life for him with total victory assured ahead. A victory in the past and a total victory assured ahead. We can serve and give away our lives and work and play and eat and sleep and live all of life for the glory of God now because we have been raised spiritually from death to life with the promise that we will be raised physically from death to life. God is building a people for himself to invade the darkness with light. And it comes by living a different life, empowered by him, representing his love and his mercy, his kindness and care to those in need. It's building a people for himself. He's building his church, and, and it's proactive. When Jesus says all of his enemies must come to be defeated, ultimately death, it means that Jesus is proactively, he is proactively acting with an offense. So often as Christians, I'm just playing defense. Jesus is playing offense. He is aggressively bringing good news throughout the world. 
And this is what he is doing, and you get to be a part of that. That's why he says, I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Gates are defensive. Nobody ever said, let's go to battle, grab the gates. No, the gates is what you hide behind to protect you. And he says the church is going to storm the gates. How do we do that? With good news, with love, with service, with blooming where we're planted, with being a light in the darkness, with being faithful in just the littlest of things, by just showing up and being faithful and representing Christ in all of life. He's building his church and the, the gates of hell will not stand against it. He is risen, he is alive, and so are you in Jesus Christ. So let's live like that's true. Let's live like that's true. Here's the last verse and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be done with this. Takia in the singing earlier read to us from uh, Matthew. And uh, she read to us the story of the resurrection uh, from Matthew 28. But here's how, a few verses later, here's what happens. Jesus goes to his disciples, resurrected, and this is the commission he gives them. And this is the commission he gives us. Come and believe and receive this commission. If you've already believed, receive this commission afresh. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's king language. I rule over all. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. He is with you. He is with me. He is with us. He is risen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.